production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the Raskin Family Fund, with additional funding from Robert Conrad, Cleveland State University, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Good afternoon and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Matt Zone, Cleveland City Councilman for Ward 15 and the immediate past president of the National League of Cities and a proud City Club member. I am pleased to introduce today's speaker, my friend, the Honorable William Peduto, Mayor of Pittsburgh. During his campaign for Mayor of Pittsburgh, Bill Peduto made government transparency and accountability two of his top priorities. And during his first year, the Department of Innovation and Performance was established. And out of it came the Berg's Eye View app, which was lauded as one of the top 10 data applications in the world by the South Korean-based WeGo, an international organization that promotes resources for smart cities. Then in 2015, in partnership with Allegheny County and the University of Pittsburgh, the city launched Western Pennsylvania Regional Data Center, the region's first open data platform. The center leaks governments, nonprofits, and community groups to help solve issues confronting the region, everything from combating opioid epidemic to assisting with the development of a comprehensive neighborhood plans. The goal of all of these initiatives is to equip residents with the information needed to create more equitable communities. Is it working? How are the residents using these tools? Does the utilization of cutting edge technology lead to greater transparency? or just the illusion of it? And what can Cleveland learn from Pittsburgh's efforts? Today, we'll find out. Bill Peduto is the 60th mayor. He was elected in 2013 and is currently serving his second term. Prior to taking office, he worked for 19 years with the Pittsburgh City Council, seven of those years as a staffer and 12 years as a member of the council. And as councilman, he wrote the most comprehensive package of government reform legislation in Pittsburgh's history. He strengthened the ethics code, created the city's first campaign finance limits, established lobbyist disclosure and lobbyist registration, and ended no-bid contracts. And as mayor, he continues to champion the protection and enhancement of Pittsburgh's new reputation, maintaining fiscal responsibility, establishing community-based development plans, and embracing innovative solutions and becoming a leader in green initiatives. Ladies and gentlemen, members and friends of the City Club, please join me in welcoming today's speaker, the Honorable William Peduto, Mayor of Pittsburgh. Thank you, Councilman, and it's uh, great to be in Cleveland as well. Uh, Mayor, it's an honor to have you at the table, and nice to see you again. Uh, my discussion today, I want to do a couple of things. Number one, I want to talk about the open data and the resources that it provides to local government. But before I do that, I want to give you a tour of where Pittsburgh is. Basically, where we came from and where we are today and then what our basic challenges will be to make sure that it can be successful in the future. Uh, 
title of this presentation is called The Resilient City. Everybody wants to be resilient now. You know, two years ago, everyone wanted to be sustainable. And before that, that's... But the fact is, is that Pittsburgh's a city that burned to the ground, that flooded, that had its economic heart ripped out of it. And it's a city that was able to come back after each of those. And I think there's a lot of similarities between Pittsburgh and Cleveland's past where we are today and then where we need to be in the future. And what those challenges are gonna be, we can identify them and we can be proactive in trying to address them today for tomorrow. So that's Pittsburgh. Um, that is what it was originally about. It was uh, a place where people came for protein. There were fish in those rivers and there was water to be able to drink and there were natural resources. It was the French who were the first Europeans who settled, and they created Fort Duquesne, understanding the importance of the confluence of the Ohio and the, um, of the Monongahela and the uh, Allegheny forming the Ohio in the gateway to the west. And it was at that location and on a way back that a young major in the Virginia militia slit the throat of an ensign of uh, the French army named Jamonville, and thus began the French and Indian War, the Seven Year War, the First World War, and that major was George Washington. And there is a lot of controversy over whether George did it or not, but. <laughs> so we know the outcome of it, and Fort Pitt was created, the gateway to the west, and right down by Heinz Field, Lewis got into a boat and met up with his buddy Clark, and they discovered Ohio. No, <laughs> they, they discovered uh, the, the manifest destiny, the, the sea, the shining sea, the, the idea of this country being uh, this wonderful area. And they looked over their shoulder and they said, who's going to build it? And that's what it was. Before it was ever steel, it was natural resources. Coal was discovered on the shores of the Monongahela River. It was glass, and then it was iron, and then steel, and then aluminum. And Pittsburgh built America, just like Cleveland and Detroit. All the steel bridges and all the steel skyscrapers were coming out of Pittsburgh. We produced more steel in World War II than Germany and Japan combined. And we grew because people had to work in those mills and those mines. And they came over from Southern Europe and Eastern Europe. And Pittsburgh's population boomed. In the industrialists, we were, as I like to tell my friends, Seattle, we were Seattle before Seattle. <laughs> it wasn't just Carnegie, it was Mellon and Heinz, it was Westinghouse, it was Frick. And it's rather unfortunate that Frick and Carnegie hated each other so badly because had they gotten along, I have no doubt the school would be known as Carnegie, Frick, and Mellon. <laughs> And during those times, things happen. Like I said, Pittsburgh burned to the ground, and we had to rebuild. There were constant floods. You can see in that one picture, the entire point underwater, the entire downtown would routinely flood almost on an annual basis. And of course, we uh, produced a lot of air pollution. We produced air that was dangerous to breathe, water that was deadly to drink. And we created the greatest disparity between the haves and the have-nots in American history, between those that worked in the mines and the mills and those that managed and owned them.
but we went about to start to create, to build a Pittsburgh that would be different, one that would clean up its water, one that would clean up its air. We created the first Clean Air Act in American history, 20 years before Congress ever took it up, 30 years before the EPA was created. Pittsburgh created its own mandatory clean air standards. We partnered with our corporations in order to be able to address our flooding and our water quality. And we were able to put together a community plan, a private-public pro partnership that re-identified downtown not as a head of industry, but to be the head of corporate America. And basically looked at an area that was filled with mills and thought, what if it one day could be filled with skyscrapers? And there were bold plans that were created. And in order to address the disparity in places like Pittsburgh and Cleveland and Detroit, we organized. We organized in our mills. We organized in our mines. And we not only built America, we built the middle class. But we also had an idea of urban planning that was vastly different than we have today. We saw areas of the city and we removed from them the very character that made the city. The idea of building out that corporate headquarters by the 1970s was real and it had been complete. The uh, idea that Pittsburgh would become a corporate center by 1970s, we were the third largest Fortune 500 center in the United States, New York, Chicago, Pittsburgh. And in 1979, Pirates won the World Series. <laughs> it's been a long time. Steelers won their fourth Super Bowl in six years, and Pittsburgh died. We died. We had our economic heart ripped out as Cleveland was continuing to grow and continuing to prosper we saw unemployment of 19%. We had more people leave the city of Pittsburgh in the 80s than people left New Orleans after Katrina, and they never came back. Our debt ratio of city government, because we had no tax base left, was over 20% of our entire budget, much higher than New York City's when they went bankrupt. And there were no federal bailout programs for us. We basically began exporting young people the same way that we used to export steel. The population increases we saw were greatly changed. The number of people that would be able to be employed in Pittsburgh completely fell off. And we came up with strategies. We came up with bold ideas how we were going to bring back manufacturing, we were going to bring back steel. And we started looking, though, at some other ideas. But here's the key to it. While we were doing those different things, there were those that were planting seeds and understanding that our future did not have to be wedded to our past. So in 1979, as the steel industry collapsed, Carnegie Mellon University created the first robotics program in the world. And by the mid-80s, the first PhD in robotics in building out artificial intelligence and predictive analytics and robotics not as an idea of one day this will be an industry, but as an idea that Pittsburgh had all of the capacity to be the leader of it. And we doubled down. During the darkest days, we didn't stop building. That vision of still having a corporate center in that golden triangle continued with more skyscrapers being built. 
We doubled down. We didn't sell off our arts or our assets. We actually invested more in them. We created open spaces and looked at the ways that we had destroyed the city in the 50s and 60s through urban planning and started to find ways that we could actually invest into public areas. We created children's museums and the Andy Warhol Museum and the August Wilson Museum, all during a time when our economy was tanking. And it was because of those commitments that we were also able to save the pirates, to save the symphony, to save the opera, to save the ballet. And we didn't let those treasured jewels of our past be a victim of our economic um, downturn. And how were we able to do it? Well, those same old white guys that I showed you earlier, <laughs> they left a lot of money behind. And they became the foundations and the foundation of our recovery. So as we were struggling, the wealth of a previous time was able to hold our head above the water and to make sure that we not only would survive, but when we would come back, we would come back stronger than what we were. And the mills never left. They just moved up the hills. And from the valleys where we were producing steel, we began to produce medicine, life sciences, technology, and build out new industries around the, the institutions of eds and meds. And that's where Pittsburgh is today. Recovered, came back from economic collapse. We're able to rebuild and come out stronger, more financially stable. But that doesn't mean that that will be sustaining because we know that there will be challenges that will be coming up. So we've built a strategy around that. And we call it 1PGH. 1PGH is a way to understand what our challenges will be over the next 20 years and proactively address them today. It calls upon us to make sure that two things are done. Number one, that we keep Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. That those wonderful things that we knew about it during the 80s and the 90s when we were the butt of every joke, there was something special about that town that we don't want to lose. And as we see growth happen, we don't want to see it change what we are or who we are. And the second part of it is we have to build a Pittsburgh for everyone. Everyone has to be a part of the equation. We made the mistake before of having an economy that was only for some. We need to build an economy for all. And to be able to do that, we have to understand what our shocks and stresses are. And they're much, much different than they were in the 1940s. They're much different than they were in the 1980s. And we have to realize that they'll change. But today, we have to deal with what will be those shocks that could knock us back right down to our knees. And what will be the stresses on a daily basis that exists in order to be able to address because those stresses over a long term will also knock us back down. We want to look at it as a confluence, because we like the word confluence because of the rivers, of how this becomes interconnected, how you can utilize technology in order to be able to solve some of these problems, how you can build for long term instead of short term, and how you can do it in a way that addresses what your problems are going to be. We don't view it as a government program. Just as we were able to change out of the 40s and the 50s and just how we were able to dig ourselves out of the hole in the 80s and 90s, it has to be a partnership. It has to be a partnership between the government, foundations, institutions, and corporations. We're creating a new urban wealth fund of $4 billion. 
$4 billion outside of city government, outside of what we would already be doing, that will be utilized in order to make sure that these actions happen. And we're doing it in a way that is able to pull together resources from all four of those groups in having one united front in order to be able to see that success. We did this before, that's my favorite mayor of Pittsburgh, his name is David Lawrence. And David Lawrence was the architect of changing Pittsburgh from a heavy industry city to a corporate city. Um, and his legacy is all around, both in the way that he did his Moses type of urban redevelopment where we basically are chasing his ghost, restitching together communities that he tore apart, but also in the legacy of cleaner air of Pittsburgh's economy. And what he did to do it was he created new organizations. He created the Allegheny Conference together with the Mellon family to bring that resource of the corporate community together with government. He put together the first redevelopment authority in the country because he knew that government didn't have the capacity to do economic development. We had to have an organization in order to do it. He created the parking authority because he saw the ability of the automobile to be transformative. And we have to create new agencies in order to be able to meet our challenges of today. So what are those challenges? What is that game plan? What is one in Pittsburgh? It's based upon a principle that we call P4, that every dollar that we invest in government money should benefit people, planet, place, and performance, and that we should be able to measure exactly how it's doing that. With people committed to pre-K for all, Pittsburgh offers every kid who graduates Pittsburgh public uh, schools uh, $20,000 scholarship to attend college or trade school. So if you have a 2.0 average and you attended classes, when you graduate, you get a scholarship. We want to create it on the front end and create a baby scholarship for every three and four-year-old in the city of Pittsburgh. Because if they can start out in kindergarten at the same level, they have a better chance of success later in life. We're expanding our workforce training programs to start in seventh grade, partnering directly with our corporations so that PNC Bank is telling us what it is that they'll need and what skills, and they'll be incorporated into Pittsburgh Public Schools curriculum, that People's Natural Gas is telling us in UPMC, because we understand that in the next decade, we're going to have a workforce shortage, and we're going to need skilled people from every neighborhood to be a part of that workforce. We're expanding what we do in changing our programs out of just recreation programs of after school to learning coding in our rec centers for our kids and giving our kids in city schools an advantage over the suburban kids by giving them after school time, weekend time, and summertime. We took our summer workforce program from 187 kids who were basically cutting grass and painting fences to over 2,000. And 2,000 kids throughout the city of Pittsburgh this summer are working at the University of Pittsburgh, at UPMC, at PNC Bank. And they're earning money through our summer of earn and learn when we're giving them that opportunity and we're teaching them fiscal literacy and creating their first bank accounts as well. We're moving to eradicate homelessness. We have been able to take our veteran homeless population from over 400 to less than 20. And we have a program in place now that within 90 days, every homeless vet 
is found a place to live or if they're chronic is monitored on a monthly basis. We're working with our addicted and working with them on a personal level, training our public safety officials to stop by very easily starting by not calling them frequent flyers or regular customers, but learning who their names are and providing all of our uh, public safety officials, Narcan, as well as training to be able to help those that are looking for a way out. We're working with our nonprofits to eradicate hunger and trying to find ways that organizations like Uber can help to create a, a waste to product model where food that would be wasted will instead be delivered to places that need it. We're working on an affordable housing component that will be the highest in the nation per capita with a trust fund. A trust fund that is being seeded by raising taxes last year for real estate transfer that supplies $10 million a year in additional funds that go back directly to communities to build affordable housing within neighborhoods. And we're using that as seed funding from our foundations and our institutions to see it raised even higher. Because we understand that there will be a big push that will happen as jobs become prevalent once again that will increase costs for many. So we wanna have two tracks of building market rate housing and the track that is increasing the amount of affordable housing. With PLACE, we're expanding our urban canopy for the first time in decades. For years, our urban forest has been uh, losing the amount of percentage of the entire city of Pittsburgh. We're working with uh, nonprofit organizations to expand it. Uh, we are providing a park or a green space within a 10 minute walk of every child in the city of Pittsburgh. So no matter what neighborhood you live in, there is an opportunity to be in a place uh, that is green around you. Creating a preservation fund to save old churches and schools. Those are the iconic parts of each of our neighborhoods that people identify with. They're the ones that people say when they're in Pittsburgh, it kind of feels like Europe. There's steeples no matter where you look around every hillside, but we have no way of being able to preserve them and there's no economic benefit to developers to not just come in and take a wrecking ball. We're working on a Vision Zero plan for mobility that looks at all modes of, of transportation to assure that by 2030, there's nobody whose life is lost by a poorly designed road. We're modeling it around our smart cities initiatives in creating new types of traffic signals that actually can learn. And these traffic signals are already being implemented in the city of Pittsburgh. They're able to talk to each other. They're able to see where the vehicles are in real time and they reduce idling time, which reduces carbon emissions by 34%. We are committed to being 100% renewable by 2030, meaning that the energy that we use to operate city government will be obtained by renewable sources solely by 2030, and we're on goal to do it. Uh, Full-wide implementation by 2045 and divestment from our pension funds of fossil fuels. We are going to zero waste by 2030 and we're reducing 50% uh, reduction in the energy, water, and transportation that the city uses as a city government, and we're already exceeding that goal uh, by 2030. 
eradicating all lead pipes. We have had issues with lead pipes. We are under a, a order through the Department of Environmental Protection of the state to have that completely removed by 2030. We've voluntarily went into that agreement and we're staying on it. Uh, and we're being monitored by the state on an annual basis to make sure we're meeting the goals and investing heavily in green infrastructure. Again, this helps to make, make our parks and our canopy components happen, but it also makes the cost of dealing with our combined sewer overflow less by hundreds of millions of dollars because the water never has to enter a pipe and the amount of pipes that we'll need will be significantly less. And then in performance, it was back in 1908 that the first socioeconomic study of a city was ever completed. It was called the Pittsburgh Survey. It led to the progressive movement in the city of Pittsburgh. It led to the realization about the quality of life of the people who were living in the city of Pittsburgh, and it brought social change. As we move forward with the, this one PGH plan, we're working with RAND Corporation to create the Pittsburgh Survey 2.0 so that everything that we're doing is measured. What's the reading level of a third grader now? What's the reading level of a third grader next year, the year after, the year after? The first year that the pre-K kids hit, what's the reading level? Are we seeing increases? If not, we change the programs. What's the amount of water that's being retained? What is it after we've done our GI programs? We want to see results from all of this over a 12-year cycle. And that's Pittsburgh today. I love this photo and it's my favorite photo of Pittsburgh because if you look at it, it looks like a heart. You can see the arteries and you can see the different parts and that's what we are. We're the heart of Western Pennsylvania. We're the heart of an entire region. And for a lot of years, that heart was not healthy. That heart was pulling down an entire region. Now we have the opportunity to help to pull it up. And I'll leave with a little bit of political uh, just opinion. You know, it's very interesting because the problems that I see in the city of Pittsburgh with a single mom who's living in East Liberty and sees a new apartment building being built and says, I'll never be able to afford to live there. Sees a new restaurant going in and says, I'll never be able to take my kids there. It's the same thing I see when I head out 45 minutes out into Fayette County and see people looking and saying, where's the future for me? Where's my future for my kids? You're talking about all these renewable, what about the industries that we built when we built America? And the politics may be very different, but the bottom line of the problem is exactly the same. It's exactly the same. And if we start to look at what it is that we're dealing with, whether it's violence and kids dropping out of school and the missed opportunities, we realize there's a bottom line of poverty that we're dealing with. Because that mom who works in the service industry and that guy down in Fayette County who works in the service industry came from families that worked in those mills and worked in those mines and they had a wage. And that wage was able to build that community around it. And today it's not the high school kid who works there, it's not somebody doing summer employment. That's their careers. And the service industry jobs and the service industry pay never kept scale with what they had had. And both of them are dealing with the issues of poverty, whether it's rural or urban. And if we can start looking as a region of how to solve that problem, we're gonna go a long way of solving all the symptoms that we constantly treat. 
That's Pittsburgh. I'm going to make a few remarks and then give the mic back to you. Okay. So stand back. So today we are enjoying a forum with the Honorable William Peduto, Mayor of Pittsburgh. We're about to begin the audience Q&A, and we welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, students, or those of you who are just joining us via our radio broadcast or live stream. So if you'd like to tweet a question, please tweet it at the City Club. That's at the City Club, and Mayor Peduto is a prolific uh, Twitter guy, so I'll tell you. Um, so tweet us at the City Club, and our staff will try to work it into the program. Holding the microphones today are Content Coordinator Bliss Davis and the Youth Forum uh, Council Chair Tia Lu, sorry about that, or Sonia, Sonia, may we have the first question, please? Uh, Mayor, thank you for being here. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate what you're doing. Um, how are the residents of Pittsburgh uh, responding? Do you do any uh, surveys or any outreach to see how, especially the lower income uh, residents, how are they responding to what's been having, happening? Um, we're seeing for the first time what we hadn't seen in other cities have, which is gentrification happening by race. Uh, we had seen uh, white neighborhoods become gentrified over the past 20 years, and for the first time now we're seeing where gentrification is causing uh, black residents to move out of historically black neighborhoods. So on that side of it, we're trying to be as proactive as possible, investing more into black-owned businesses, investing more into affordable housing, but it, the market is exceeding our scale. So in, in those areas, there's a lot of uh, well-earned concern. Uh, in other areas of the city, though, we still haven't seen any economic development for 30 years. And in those areas, it's a much different tool that we work with. We're incentivizing all developers to come in and to partner with us and to be able to build out those communities. I would say this, with the plan of One Pittsburgh, it wasn't us. That, the, it, all of those recommendations, all of those different initiatives have been taken through community-based plans. And they're, they're, we haven't even fully launched this yet, and when we do, all of those plans will be on the website. Um, so this is a bottom-up approach. Uh, it's not being managed by city government. My job is the, uh, the fundraiser-in-chief. Uh, my job is to get UPMC to say, yes, we'll donate $10 million a year for the next 12 years into this. My job is to get all the others to be a part of it to raise that money. But at the end of the day, what we'll fund will not be city government. It will be community-based plans. Mr. Mayor, thank you for your address. It is really inspiring to hear, and I hope there are those in our audience here who will carry that message locally. But in the course of a half hour, you cannot cover everything. The one thing I found conspicuously lacking was any comment as to the relationship of the police department with the minority community in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And at the risk of taking up the rest of your time, would you comment? Yeah, no. Two weeks ago, we had one of the worst situations Americans find themselves in. Uh, 
17-year-old boy was shot and killed in an officer-involved shooting, which occurred out of the side of the city of Pittsburgh, meaning you have no authority over it. There's nothing you can do even with the law enforcement side of it. However, you have 100% responsibility because the community is called East Pittsburgh into the world. It just means Pittsburgh. So the protests and everything else aren't occurring at a 7-Eleven in East Pittsburgh. They're happening in downtown Pittsburgh. Um, and the reaction of the public is not a negative reaction to East Pittsburgh police officers. It's a negative reaction to Pittsburgh police officers. So obviously the first step you do is you double up your officers, you work on 12 hour shifts, you work to deal with those protests. What I can say is, is that when I took office in 2014, my police chief was in prison. Um, he had been arrested and convicted. And the relationship between the community and the police force was at an all-time low. We've worked over the past four years in order to be able to build that relationship. The one reason that it's not in there is that it is in every part of our city budget, capital and operating, and we're, we're committed to building out community-based relationships. I worry when Dallas happened and Baton Rouge and Minneapolis and we met with community leaders when that was happening and there was a lot of concern over what we had done over the past four years at that time would fall apart in four minutes. It didn't. It held together. What's happened over these past two and a half weeks now, three weeks as of today, is we've been under the test of whether it's been able to hold together and it's been able to hold together. We have had protests, we've had demonstrations, but what we have not had is a community going against our own police. The community has been there with our police during a time when other communities fell apart. Um, we looked and watched what happened in Ferguson. We watched what happened in Baltimore. And we do this on a daily basis, a daily basis. And it's not simply creating something called community policing or having an officer assigned to a neighborhood. It is having officers engaged in the community. And they have to be believing in it themselves for it to be successful. And once it works, it's amazing how when that respect goes this way, it comes back the other way too. So it's something we do on a daily basis. We know and it's part of our uh, racial in disparity within the city that is very real and has been tested where we have disparity in education, disparity in housing, and uh, disparity in access to healthcare. We also have disparity when it comes to police relations, and we have a history of being able to try and solve it. I'll leave you with this one last thing with that. When I took office, my solicitor, who was a former federal prosecutor in uh, Miami who went after the cocaine cowboys, met with the U.S. attorney, the U.S. attorney said to her, good luck. And she said, thank you. And he goes, probably will be under our control within a year. And we never had that problem. And we never had another conversation about whether we would have to go under a consent decree. Once our officers got behind the program, things changed. Mayor, uh, thank you so much for your remarks. Uh, I'm with the Unify Project, and we're very focused in on how open data, big data, and other advanced technologies 
can be used to achieve wonderful visions like yeah. yours. Could you speak to how you're using those in Pittsburgh? So my favorite is the most recent. We've been uh, very fortunate that we've been able to pull, and Cleveland could do the same thing very easily with universities uh, in the county. We, we, we pulled all of our city resources, which basically everything that we have in information, which is daily, whether it's a police report that comes in or in building inspection or anything else, together with all the county, which the county has mainly the health and other information, which can be really helpful as long as individuals aren't being identified, together with Carnegie Mellon and the University of Pittsburgh to help to maintain it on a daily basis, and our foundations paid for it all. So bringing together all those different components, we have created one of the largest open data sets that are actually mined so people can get specific information or completely open and you can get whatever you want. People have been able to pull together dog licenses and have mapped out the most popular dog names by neighborhood. I mean, there's very useful categories. But here's the one that I really like because we had a question, where's the next fire gonna be? I don't know. <laughs> Firemen, you know, would love to know. So we got the information from all of our building inspection records, all of the that we have for 24,000 commercial buildings. And then we got all the information over five years from the Fire Bureau of where fires have occurred uh, for those same 24,000 properties. We gave those, that information to Carnegie Mellon. They used some other information put the, together through some uh, algorithms of artificial intelligence. And they came back and they said, here are the 58 properties that are most likely to catch fire. And here, by the way, are about 300 more that you should be looking at. 50 of the 58 had a fire alarm within a year. 50 of 58. Now, if you can use that type of data to be able to do that, Imagine the possibility of going into those 58 now, making sure the sprinkler system works, making sure the damper works so that when the fire's here, the smoke's not going there, making sure that it's up to code, you can eliminate death by fire. And that's the power of big data because it is able to pull together things that we may not see and through algorithms be able to create where that prediction will be accurate. And if you can do it for fires, you can do it for crime. If you can do it for crime, you can do it for potholes. And if you think about how you're gonna be able to utilize that type of information in, in accompaniment with sensors, in new generations of sensors, sensors that can tell you how many people are inside that Starbucks because it has the ability to keep the count as it's happening. Sensors that can tell you how many inches Cars have been close to bicycles and where it's happening at the most unsafe areas. So you can move bikes off that area or create protected lanes in that area. Sensors that can tell you how much carbon is coming out of neighborhoods where kids are being affected by it and the amount of methane that's leaking from gas pipes in order to be able to, as you're pulling up that water line, replace that gas pipe too. The combination between big data and the next generation of sensors that are already there will completely change the way that local government's able to operate. South Bend, Indiana, Pete Buttigieg, you'll hear that name again, trust me, mayor of South Bend, 
he put together a different plan because he realized when it rains, it doesn't rain like right down on South Bend. It rains and it moves across. So those pipes holding all that water aren't all full at the same time and he's having problems. What if you use sensors and created ways to direct the water? You won't have to build hundreds of millions of dollars worth of new pipes. You can do it with a few million dollars worth of sensors and gauges. It will transform the way that government operates. It is changing the way government operates. Uh, Mr. Mayor, uh, in Cuyahoga County, we have 58 different governmental uh, entities. We have uh, 58 different cities and villages. Uh, it makes it very difficult to do any kind of uh, common development efforts uh, if you need approval of that many. Can you tell us what that situation is like in Pittsburgh? How many governments do you have within, what is it, Allegheny County? Yes. And uh, how you collaborate with them to try to improve and grow the area, uh, the area vision. What is the population of Cuyahoga County? 1.2 million. 1.2, yeah. So Allegheny County is 1.2 million. You have 58, we have 130. <laughs> really? Yeah, so we have nicer parades. <laughs> Lots of pretty fire trucks and police cars. Uh, um, I've, I've struggled with this quite a bit because I was a firm believer that, you know, let's just rip the Band-Aid off, let's just get it done and let's have one government. You know, if New York can do it with 8 million, we certainly can do it with 1.2. It will have one tax base, it will be able to disperse wealth at a better, and then I realized I'll never get that accomplished. So what I look at are areas of commonality, the airport corridor and the neighborhoods around it, the North Hills, the South Hills, the, the Allegheny Valley and the Beaver Valley, and how can we encourage them to be able to have shared services when it comes to things as simple as payroll, when it comes to things like you're talking about in economic development planning, when it comes to things that you really don't think about your local pension fund operator, <laughs> you know, the same way you think about your local police officer. The things that you don't wear the uniform for, there should be a real easy way of doing it because you shouldn't have 130 contracts with Microsoft. You should be able to do that eight. You should be able to do it one, but let's, let's talk about where it happens. And so there's the old adage that there's two ways to boil a frog. And I don't know why people boil a frogs, but <laughs> apparently they do. It's been studied. Um, the one is you throw frog in boiling water and it jumps right out. And the other is you slowly turn up the heat. I think that those that are looking for, it used to be called metropolitanism, now it's just called consolidation, should be looking at ways in areas of commonality to be able to save taxpayers money to be able to share services. And eventually people will find out it's not so scary having one tax collector or one department of finance representing several municipalities. Hi, Mayor, thank you very much. Um, 
I actually had the pleasure of uh, working with your team and your staff in Manchester Chateau over the last 12 months and watched this plan uh, come to life as we put a neighborhood pl plan together for that really historic community. And so I wanted to provide that testimony to the audience that this is really real. Yeah. It is happening. I live in Columbus, and we are a partner with you um, on the Midwest Connect and the Hyperloop. And while I'm also a big believer and lover of smart cities, and while some of these things seem really big ideas, I wondered if you could comment on what you're doing and how you guys are responding to that proposal that you were lucky enough to receive to be part of that international opportunity for the Hyperloop. Yeah, and uh, Cleveland as well is, is working with a, a second Hyperloop group that is interested in potentially connecting to Pittsburgh. Um, our initiative is simple. It is the, the city of Pittsburgh is just 55 square miles. So we're working more through Allegheny County. Uh, with the proposal itself, any access to public right-of-way will be made available like Cleveland. There's a lot of abandoned rail lines that exist throughout Allegheny County. Those will become transportation corridors uh, in the future that will look at all modes of transportation. Beyond the Hyperloop, we have five separate companies right now testing autonomous vehicles on our streets. Uh, it's not just Uber. Uh, Ford is partnered with a company called Argo AI. Aurora has partnered with Volkswagen and Toyota. Uh, Aptif, which used to be Delphi, has partnered with BMW. And GM has partnered with Carnegie Mellon. And what we're looking at is, is this future of autonomous vehicles goes in two directions. One, the manufacturers themselves. They'll be installing more and more features in your cars every year that will have your cars being able to be much, much safer and the potential to be able to drive themselves. The other part of it is it's going to be very dangerous when autonomous vehicles are on the streets with operated vehicles. Um, so cities should be looking at opportunities to create specific areas where autonomous vehicles can run. And in those same areas, autonomous public transit should be a component of it as well. And these would be areas where, like an easy pass, you would get on and be able to pay for each mile that you use it, avoid traffic, there would be no traffic signals, no stop signs, you just get on and go. And having public transit as a component of it as well really will change the way urban transportation occurs and will be the evolutionary step to full autonomy. So it, there's a lot of fun stuff right now in transportation centered around multimodal, centered around shared, electric, autonomous, and also connected. And as Hyperloop and other projects take off, it's going to be interesting to watch how all the others start to, to fit together. Uh, thank you for your comments. Earlier, you uh, you touched on cycling when you were talking about sensors. In any conversation about self-driving cars, you're also talking about pedestrians and cycling and safety and things like that. I wonder if you can take it a, a bit more general and comment about what is the role of cyclists? Have they been positive for Pittsburgh? And how do they fit into your resilient, sustainable city? Yeah, they're, they're, they're the people that uh, we have a very strong organization called Bike Pittsburgh that have been behind uh, Vision Zero. Uh, and they wanted Vision Zero right from the beginning, 2014. And I said it would be like reading uh, a doctorate book in physics written in Portuguese. 
Uh, it just, we, we didn't have the capacity. Our, our transportation department was still our public works department. We hadn't built a new department of mobility and infrastructure. We have a double black diamond of roads, you know, just like Cleveland that don't, you know, you go everywhere else, it's a nice grid system. We have crazy roads, hills and rivers. I mean, so it's just 446 bridges and all of that challenge, we couldn't just get to Vision Zero. So the, the biking community has been a critical part of the multimodal strategy. So they're, they're talking about audible signals at all of our intersections. They're working with people with needs on the components that would create an app so that if you're blind and you're coming to a uh, intersection, your phone's already talking to the signal, letting them know that you're there so you don't have to go and try to find where a button is to push and where then you'll get the access to the light, not the car sitting on the sensor. So there's a, a very strong combination between our bike community and all of the other communities that are dealing with mobility. I'll tell you this, that when my first year I put in uh, some of our first protected bike lanes and I put them in areas of downtown Pittsburgh and around the universities and other parts. And I could have gotten a heck of a lot more or less heat, less heat, if I'd have put in the budget UFO landing area. <laughs> in Pittsburgh, it's called bike lash. You get a lot of bike lash by investing in it. But we invest pennies compared to what our overall budget is. And we are committed in an eight-year period to have an entire connected bike system throughout the city of Pittsburgh. Hi, Mr. Mayor. Um, I work for a company that emphasizes data integration uh, within the software development field, and I had a double-layered question for you. So what services do you offer to organizations to help them leverage the data? Um, that can be technical or consultative. And then also, how do you continue to market the adoption and availability of these data sets? Yeah. So our open data port platform is available to everybody, but we specifically go out into communities that usually wouldn't use it, lower income communities, uh, younger uh, people, and seniors. And we make that available through teaching and showing them how to be able to utilize it. Uh, the, it's an ongoing basis, it happens throughout the year. And then we have uh, Inclusive Innovation Week, which we spend a week and have probably around 40 to 50 events working primarily in communities that are outside of who would usually use it. And we just have a number of different panels and discussions and everything else bring together thousands of people. We also have hackathons throughout the year for those that do use it and being able to challenge them to come up with the next great idea. Uh, we bring together five startups a year and we give them access to all the city's resources and the city becomes a client in order for them to be able to use their data in a way that they can start a company. And we have a really good ecosystem between our startup community, those that work in big data, and uh, those that are interested in it as a hobby, uh, and an open platform within city government. So you come up with a great idea like getting a text to remind me it's recycling week and reminding me to put my garbage out, 
and we'll use it and we'll make it so that you can then say the city of Pittsburgh is my client. Mayor, welcome to Cleveland. Um, could you please talk about your uh, welcoming initiatives, welcoming others? Yeah. I don't think it's the right word, others, but yeah. uh, uh, and what's their contribution to a uh, city in, yep. uh, in terms of immigrants and refugees? Just a show of hands, how many people here's parents or grandparents came from another country? Yeah, pretty much the whole room, right? It's a, or from the southern United States. I mean, it's it's the, it's <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. My grandfather came from Italy, had a second grade education. My grandmother had none, she was illiterate. And um, they worked, he worked 38 years at Columbia Steel, uh, helped to form the union there. And he raised me, so from the time I was born, he was in our house. The story about our family though is, is that my grandfather came over in 1921 and that's when a lot of people were coming from the Southern, Southern Europe and Eastern Europe, uh, many of them uh, Catholics and some of them Jewish. And so by 1924, Congress changed the laws of who could come into this country, and it was based upon 1890 census, and that meant my grandmother couldn't come to be with her husband for six years. Uh, and it wasn't until 1927 that she was able to come to America. Um, I never want to see that again. I, I grew up and I heard those stories from my grandfather, and I, I heard about how he was treated the little town that he settled in, Carnegie, PA, uh, named after Andrew Carnegie, uh, had the Klan march down the street to welcome the Italians that were coming in. So I have some really strong beliefs when it comes to that. So we put together a plan well before this administration. This was back in 2014 during the Obama administration called Welcoming Pittsburgh. And we missed out for 30 years on immigrants because we had no jobs. And now I start to look around my town and I can see people from different parts of the world that I never saw before. And the last thing I'm gonna do is do what people did to my grandfather. So I'm gonna make sure that when they come in, I'm gonna hand them a terrible towel and say, you're a Yinzer. <laughs> uh, the Welcoming Pittsburgh plan is a little more specific than that. And it gets into different initiatives that we do, including having tours of downtown in languages we've never had before movie nights in neighborhoods where we know people are coming from Nepal with Nepal movie night. We uh, have celebrated holidays that we haven't celebrated in City Hall. And just doing whatever you can to say you're part of the community. And, um, you know, I, I say this often, but 100 years ago, people like my grandfather came to this country to use their backs and their arms. And today, people are coming into this country to use their minds we can't put ourselves at a disadvantage. If I'm gonna see that city be the best that it ever can be, I need to be a welcoming city for everybody. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. Outstanding. Today at the City Club, we have been enjoying a forum with the Honorable William Peduto, Mayor of Pittsburgh. Let's give this gentleman another round of applause. applause. Today's forum is the annual Craig Spangenberg Memorial Forum, made possible through a generous grant from the law firm Spangenberg, Shelby, and Liber, LLP. We appreciate their continued support of the City Club programming. Our community partner for today's forum is OpenNEO. 
We welcome guests at tables hosted by the Fund for Economic Future, OHM Advisor, and our strategy group. We thank you all for being here today. And that brings us to the end of today's forum. Thank you, Mayor Peduto. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the Raskin Family Fund, with additional funding from Robert Conrad, Cleveland State University, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.